This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, good morning. I'm Frank Proctor, the sous chef of the garden. (laughs) That's like the under, under, under gardener. Oh, well, thank you. And that voice belongs to our very own master gardener, Charlie Dobbin. Hey, Frankie, did you get that picture I sent you? Did I? Man, the hair on the back of my head is still perpendicular. What comes up next is what in radio terminology is called setting the hook. Stay tuned. Our genial host will be along in moments to share with you what horrible creature she's found in her garden. Now, Charlie sent me a picture of a large beastie out there. Oh. No, but it wasn't just, I only sent you a picture of one beastie, but I have found several of them out there. But first, though, Franklin, we must go over the rules of the road about the show. Excellent point. So, before we hear about monsters that could be lurking in your garden, a reminder that, uh, well, Charlie? This, well, though this is Saturday, the 1st of August, we actually recorded this show last Monday. And since the pandemic has kept us out of the studios in the Zoomerplex in Liberty Village... We can't accept any phone calls. We must rely on you, my friends, to send Charlie your questions via email. And, Mr. Proctor, what is the email address? I thought you'd never ask. Well, for (laughs) our show show next week, please email Charlie Dobbin at c.dobbin, that's D-O-B-B-I-N, at mzmedia.com. All right, fasten your seatbelts. Are you ready for my tale of horror in my garden? As Boris Karloff might say, All right, Igor, take me to the laboratory to see the creature. (laughs) Oh, Charlie, that picture you sent me really was scary. What the heck was it? Okay, so it's called a tomato horn worm. Um, I mean, I'm making it sound like I've got some massive garden. I really don't. I strictly have some raised garden beds so far. And I planted 11 tomatoes into my raised garden beds, which I started from seed. And I stepped out a couple of days ago and realized some foliage was missing from some of my tomato plants. Well, there's only one insect that actually eats tomato leaves. And um, for some reason, I'm inundated this year. So in all my years of growing tomatoes in Richmond Hill, I remember picking off one tomato hornworm. But already I'm up to 10 big, fat, juicy, green, ugly. Well, they're larvae of what will become what's called a sphinx moth. So, yeah, man, (laughs) ye gods and little fishes. They are some ugly critters, I can tell you. Well, thank you for the photo. It gave me nightmares. Uh, Now, on a calmer (laughs) note, were you involved in shooting another episode of Healing Gardens this past week? 
No, I had a break this past week. Instead, I spent most of the week trying to perfect a rain dance. Seriously, it's been nothing but hot, windy, and dry at my place for the last month. And you know what? My weeds are really suffering. <laughs> I, can, I can just picture you with your wine bag out there in the lawn doing your wine, wine bag, rain dance. I know. You uh, know. The neighbors are going to call the, the police soon, I think. <laughs> you know, Charlie, I, I was remembering when we actually did the show live, and off the top of the show, you used to devote some time to events sponsored by horticultural societies. So yesterday, I, I sent an invitation to Catherine Smith, or Smythe, I'm not sure of the pronunciation. She's the president of the Ontario Horticultural Association, wondering what they've been up to lately. Well, and I don't think you've heard back, but the answer to that question is likely not much. So normally during the summer, horticultural clubs take a breather. But of course, like all other clubs, their attendance has been null and void since mid-March. But hey, we'd love to hear from Catherine or anyone else to let us know of events or just how you're getting along. I think some of the clubs are likely keeping in touch via Zoom meetings. Ah, right. Now, as I noted in my email to Catherine, I realized the short notice factors at play here. So whenever you can get back to us on The Garden Show, we'd love to hear from you. And hmm, isn't it about time for our producer, Joel, to give you that audio jog in your earphones? Your timing, Your Majesty, is impeccable. (laughs) I just got the whispered word that it's time to take our first break. And when we return, Charlie will answer your emails right here on Zoomer Radio. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, Charlie, here we are with the emails. I have one from D.R. Locke in Oshawa. And they say, have golden ever-bearing raspberries, a small plot, 35 square feet, uh, have had these plants maybe 20 years, have not fertilized them until this year. Now, every fall, I collect maple leaves to put out for collection by the city, and I put them in the raspberries till they're, oh, 8 to 10 inches deep. I thought this was enough fertilizer. Question, here comes. New plants come up every year. Are they just too old and maybe have run out, or do they not get the proper feeding? My wife and I enjoy your program. We'll listen for your reply. Thank you very much. Hmm. All right, good question. Uh, Boy, I love raspberries, too. But what I've learned, because I'm not currently growing any raspberries, so I did a little bit of research here. Um, what, what, what we really refer to as ever-bearing ever raspberries are often referred to as fall-bearing because they do start to bear the fruit a little later than the raspberries that we're kind of used to, the ones that only bear briefly in the early summer. So the way these work is that the first year came, so the new growth that comes up every spring from below ground will fruit in their first year. Um, and so your challenge is, is the pruning. So some people prune this kind of fall-bearing or ever-bearing raspberry just by running their lawnmowers through uh, in the spring, and they just cut everything down. And other people say, no, 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 I don't want to do that because then it'll only get berries so late in the year that they go in with their pruners and they take down the canes that bore some fruit last year, but they just take them down about halfway. And meanwhile, new shoots are coming up from the bottom. So you do get a little bit of an earlier crop, plus you get that ever-bearing aspect. But keep in mind, raspberries are what we would consider heavy feeders. They need their fertilizer and uh, nothing wrong with maple leaves. Good idea. But 
they should be fertilized twice a year. So early in the spring, get out there either with a synthetic fertilizer, like a 20-20-20, like an all-purpose, or with a berry fertilizer, or even with composted manure in the early spring. And then the quantity, if you're using an all-purpose fertilizer, is as much as four to six pounds of fertilizer per 300 square feet. Now then, the flowering will start in late June, usually early July. And when that happens, then again, it's time to do some more fertilizing. And this time again, you can get out there with your manure if you can get in amongst the canes or mix up some fish emulsion or some kind of a a liquid-based, I prefer an organic natural fertilizer rather than a synthetic when they're flowering. And again, three to six pounds of fertilizer per 300 square feet. So I think you'll find Keep going with your leaves, just get some more organic matter out there and do get some more fertilizer out there. And I think you'll find that berries will pay you back big time. Okay, thank you. Uh, have a note here, and really a nice note from Cheryl Brown, who added a lovely thought at the end of her email, but I thought it should be right off the top. So here's what she said. <sighs> Volunteering brings out the best in people, sometimes bringing forth a level of compassion they never knew they had. Well, thank you, Cheryl. That's a nice thought, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, okay, uh, here's, here's the email now from Cheryl. Hello, Charlie. I have an 18-year-old Oregon grape bush that will have to be moved within the next three to four weeks. We're uh, moving it to a new garden in our backyard. In the past, when we moved a plant like this, the roots have separated from the dirt and the plant falls apart. Do you have any tips so we can make a safe transfer to that <clears throat> new spot? Thank you very much, Cheryl Brown. Yeah, good idea. Okay, so moving this plant in the next three to four weeks, and this email was sent to me on July 18th. So it sounds like there's a a move going on around mid-August with some plants at Cheryl's place. So number one, delay that moving until the temperatures get a little more reasonable, if you can. Just a little lower temperatures makes it easier on the plants. This incredible heat and incredible, you know, dry wind, etc., is really hard on the plants. So try, you know, and moving plants is also very stressful. So just try to minimize the stress by delaying that move, if you can, till more like late August. Now, how do you move a plant and keep the soil around the roots? Water, 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 water. Now, you might have a really sandy soil, and if so, it can be challenging to keep that soil around the roots. But um, be prepared. Have your hole prepared at the other end for where you're going. Do your digging. Make um, you know, dig that circle around the plant as big of a root ball as you're going to be able to manage. So carry, uh, whether it's carrying on, on a shovel or having uh, something like a, a piece of plywood nearby or something, so that you can get that plant just out of the ground and then carried in such a way that you're carrying it from below and you're trying to keep that soil. Uh, attached to all those roots if you possibly can. Um, once you get it into the ground, of course, you're going to plant it at the same height that it was growing, so f- soil level-wise. Actually, you'll plant it a little bit high because it's going to sh- go down a bit. And then do use, particularly if you're doing this in mid-August, no fertilizer other than a root-promoting fertilizer, so a plant start or something like that, just to encourage roots to get growing. But no other fertilizer this year Next spring, you can think about fertilizer, but nothing else. But make sure the soil, you know, you're going into a good soil, and hopefully the soil will not fall from the roots, because that's super important that that root ball be as intact as possible. Okay. Another transplanting question, actually, next, and it's from, uh, well, I couldn't find a name attached to this particular email, except 
add this share tools was the it's uh, uh judy the it's from judy oh judy yeah. Oh, okay, fine. I missed that somewhere. Yeah. Anyway, she says, I transplanted my rose of Sharon in the spring when you said it was only there for two years. So easy to get the root ball and roots, but it has died. What did I do wrong? She says, I didn't know how to add a picture, but it's about three feet tall and very dead looking. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so hard to, to know exactly why it didn't survive the move. But if you follow the instructions I gave to the last uh, caller, the last person's uh, question, Cheryl, you should be successful, particularly if a plant's only been in the ground for about two years. Rose of Sharon is always a bit tricky. Um, it is possible that it just stayed dormant. So when, when you, in the spring, and we've had this before, where plants look like they're dead, they're not growing, and yet they are alive, we call that a delayed dormancy. So that, that Rose of Sharon, after it had been moved, if you didn't see a lot of action out of it, I probably would have gotten out my pruners and done some snipping and uh, take the tips off and try and wake it up, you know, jumpstart the plant. But if it's very dead looking now, it's probably very dead. <laughs> Okay, uh, bon voyage. Well, uh, yeah, we have to we have to take a bon voyage here ourselves uh, to give a little break to our sponsors who have some nice words to say. So Charlie Dobbin will return here on Zoomer Radio. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is the Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. All right, Charlie, we're all set to go back to our emails now. This is from Ellie Davidson. Uh, subject, mystery bushes. Oh, I like mysteries. Okay. Good morning, Charlie and Frank. In mid-May, we moved into a weed-infested property with many overgrown bushes. Now, I've taken photos of these in hopes that you can identify them for them at a later date. There are many uh, honeysuckle with their red berries that need to be pruned. We also came across a large pokeweed, of which I'm sending you a photo and asking how you can get rid of it safely. We know that it has poisonous leaves and roots. Can you help us? And she adds here, I've listened to your show every Saturday morning when able on MZ Media 740, also on the Hamilton radio station when you lived in Hamilton years ago. Uh, in the future, I'll send you photos of the mystery bushes in hopes you can identify. She says, I realize there's only one question for call. <laughs> <laughs> Happy gardening, Ellie from Ancaster. Thanks for that, Ellie. Yeah, no kidding. So listen, um, pokeweed, uh, it is considered to be toxic. Uh, the roots are the most toxic part of the entire plant, but it has a long history of use for medicinal reasons, uh, for dyes by the indigenous Americans. Now, um, pokeweed grows as a perennial, so it's got a deep tap root. So the only way you're really going to remove this plant is by digging down and removing the entire root. Uh, the other thing to remember is that if if you don't allow it to fruit, so because it's it will it's flowering, it's going to end up with fruits, which of course the fruits are going to bear seeds. Each plant can bear up to forty eight thousand seeds with a very long viability to them. So don't allow it to go to seed. Whatever you do, um, when it's like Roundup will kill it but um, only when the plant is young. So as we get into the late summer, sometimes Roundup is not that effective. So my impulse would be to cut the whole thing down to a, a manageable height, you know, maybe a foot taller thereabouts. Some new foliage will start to grow because of the cutting down that you've done. And at that point, get out your Roundup and spray the foliage. Um, and uh, yeah, it's particularly good on new growth as opposed to old growth. Um, 
but there's nothing wrong with trying to dig it. But just remember, you get the get the entire plant out of the out of the ground. All the, the root has to come out. And um, yeah, obviously it goes without saying: wear gloves, wear long sleeves, and uh, remove this plant from the property once you get it cut down because it's just not a good one to have around at all. Okay, uh, Diana Borso writes a little note here. Hello, Charlie and Frank. God bless you two for keeping the garden hoses. Uh, hoses? It says garden. Oh, yeah. Garden hoses going, so to speak, during this long interment. Like many this year, I don't know what I'd do without the garden to keep me busy and active. However, this seems to be a tough year in my garden with little rain and the heat waves lasting for weeks on end. My plants are suffering despite that fact that I make sure to water well once a week during a soaker hose. And I'm concerned about wilting leaves. I'm seeing on the cukes, the squash, and tomatoes during the hottest part of the day. This is unusual, as is the fact that I've had to remove several small zucchini that became yellow and shriveled. Well, so far, I've not seen any pests on the plant that may be causing this. As a seasoned gardener, I find this to be quite a dilemma as to what to do. I live in Mississauga, and my garden regime includes amending the soil with homemade compost and dry leaves. I'd like to do a full soil test to verify that this is not the problem. I read about using extension services to do this. Is this something we have here? And if so, where? Many thanks for all you do, Diana. Oh, thanks for that, Diana. No question. I hear your pain. This has been a very tough year. Uh, you know, and, and Joel, who's quietly helping us in the background to record the show, even mentioned that he's watering the rooftop garden at his place every single day. And so I, I get it that you feel like you're doing a great job using your soaker hoses once a week, but it has been so hot so dry and so windy, you may just need to be watering more than what you are currently watering, like maybe twice a week, Diana, as a suggestion. Because remember, in order to get a good crop of vegetables, consistent moisture is is the key to the to uh, success there. So um, watering more often, maybe twice as much as what you're currently doing, unless we get some rain or the temperature cools off. And remember too, heat stress when plants are suffering from heat stress, they will wilt. So that, that's that flagging leaves. They just all start to hang. And this is around 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It's been a hot, hot, sunny day. And there they are looking so wilted. You go and you feel the soil, and the soil is nice and moist. And you're like, what's going on? And it's strictly heat stress. So don't water just because a plant is wilted until you feel the soil and make sure it truly is dry. Um, so checking soil is important when it comes to, um, yeah, and there's nothing you can do about that heat stress. It will pass. As soon as the sun starts to go down, the plants perk up again. But in terms of soil testing, always a good idea. You know, um, we, we, we think we know what's going on in our soil. You can do some simple at-home soil testing with simple kits that you can buy at your local garden center uh, or even home center. But if you really want to do a proper soil test, you need to go to an accredited soil testing lab. Uh, from Mississauga, your closest accredited soil testing lab is in Guelph. Uh, and here's how you will uh, contact them. It's through the University of Guelph Lab Services. So the email is quite simple. So it's AFL, so AFL info, AFL info, one word, at 
uoguelph.ca. You send them a quick email, explain that you're a home gardener, a vegetable gardener, or, or an all, you know, an ornamental gardener, whatever kind of gardener you are, and they'll send you the instructions on and all the um, the kits because basically they'll send you what you need and with instructions on how to take a proper soil sample, and then you'll mail it to them, and then they'll email you everything you need to know about your soil. So good idea, always a good idea to really know what's going on in your soil. So good luck with that, and let's all hope it cools off soon. Oh, you got that right, yeah. Um, next note here from Carmen Julia Haveri. Uh, good morning, Charlie. Thanks for the nice garden show. I love listening every Saturday morning. I've got a question for you. I do have a poppy plant in a container. The flowers are gone, and the Wondering what to do in the fall and winter with the pot. Should I bring it inside the house or keeping it out in the garden? I appreciate very much your advice since it's the very first time I encounter this. Thank you for your answer. Keep well and safe. That from Julia. All right. Great question. And you know what? Here's the deal. When you buy a plant that is sitting outside a store, so outside the garden center, outside the grocery store, whatever the case may be, the rule of thumb is it is an outdoor plant and it should stay outdoors. Now, there are a few examples where we, we want to keep some herbs alive, for example, that might that will die over the winter, and we bring them in in the fall and put them on the kitchen window ledge and continue to enjoy them as long as we can. But with something like a poppy, that plant is a perennial plant and it needs to stay outside. The last thing you want to do is bring it inside. But where can you leave it outside? You can't just have that pot sitting above ground. It, it's, it's likely to die above ground just because it's colder above ground in the winter than it is under the ground. So if you can possibly bury the container under the soil somewhere for the winter and then pull it back out in the spring, do that. <clears throat> if you don't have some a spot where you can actually bury it, consider a bigger container. <clears throat> the bigger the container, the more soil is in it, the more insulation is around the roots of the plant. So that's that's the bottom line is you're going to have to either bury the pot or put it into a bigger bigger pot in order to have it survive because for sure i mean poppies are lovely and, and you want to do what you can to keep them keep them going and they're so great in the spring okay uh, we have actually two uh, emails with the same subject matter japanese maple tree first from Coleman mcmahon who writes i've enclosed two pictures of the tree in hopes of you getting a good look at the problem and i'll be listening for your response and then a note from uh, linda campbell Sad Japanese maple. She says, uh, hi, Charlie, can you tell from these photos what is attacking my friend's Japanese maple? Don't know if you can see the bark is stripped in places. And and if so, what is the treatment? She resides in Aylmer, Ontario. That's from Linda C. Mm, Yeah, I know. It is a sad year for some of these Japanese maples. Notice if you looked at the pictures, I'm not sure if you did, Frank, but in both cases, these are a weeping form of Japanese maple. They also have a very um, lacy leaf. And what's going on, of course, is two things. The, the plants are quite stressed by the heat and the sun, so you're seeing a fair amount of burn. Uh, you're seeing crispiness on the leaves. Uh, the one picture that Linda sent, there's a lot of holes in the leaves, so obviously something's attacking and chewing the leaves uh, th- you know, as well. But both, again, uh, both these Japanese maples have a lot of dead wood on them. Now, <clears throat> 
the time to really trim out your dead stuff with your Japanese maples is in the spring. And you can see, even before the leaves come out, what's dead and what's alive because the bark is completely different colors. Dead <clears throat> Japanese maple bark is gray and crispy, and live Japanese maple bark tends to be a little more shiny, and it can be on the, the, the brown or the green, even the red edge, but it's never truly gray when it's all these tips. So what I would do with both these examples is Clear away everything from the bottom. Make sure there's no weeds around the bottom. Do your good garden hygiene. Clean out the dead wood. You can do that anytime, even in this heat. You can go in and cut out dead stuff. Be gentle, of course. You want to minimize the damage to the live wood. Uh, so when you're in there, you know, prune carefully. Get out all the stuff that falls to the ground. And, um, and, and you know, obviously water. Water thoroughly. Remember, our trees need water too. So water thoroughly. Make sure they're not struggling and stressed by lack of water and then remember next year's a whole new year new leaves are going to grow uh the plants are going to start the spring in good condition so just do what's important in the spring again clear out that deadwood next spring because there will be some and fertilize as well in the spring and and the bark issue and eh, sometimes it it can be squirrel sometimes it's just the well you have to look closely there could be some damage to the bark that's happening as a result of insects infesting in you know doing some some uh boring into the wood and that sometimes happens as well and sometimes we just have to give it up you can't if there's insects inside these trees then they need to be removed you cannot kill insects that are inside trees any longer in ontario we're not allowed to use those uh those chemicals anymore Okay, uh, a note here from Anne Cavanaugh, who uh, she says sent you a pic. Uh, orchid plant. What do I do with this orchid now that all the blossoms have fallen off? <laughs> That's funny. How many times? We always get orchid questions. We should just call this the orchid show. Yeah. <laughs> All right. It is. It, yeah, that's what happens. The, the blossoms last for a very long time, but they don't last for absolutely ever. So there you are with that green flower stem stick or you know, just the stem where the flowers were sticking up into the air and just let it be. You can carry on with your watering as you normally have. And sometimes you'll get more blossoms from that green stem. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes that stem starts to turn brown and the brown just goes all the way down. And as the brown moves down the stem and gets right down to the leaves, we get out our sharp pruners and we cut it and remove it. But until that happens, let that stem stand there because you just never really know what the orchid's going to do. Frank, you sent me a, a photograph of one of your friends who... Yeah. Um, had a, a little baby orchid growing off of her flower stem. Yeah. And was so confused what to do. But it was, it, that little baby was quite large. It had serious roots on it and leaves. It was perfect. It was just a sweet little, little, you know, baby orchid growing right off the flower stem of the mother. So you never know what will grow on those flower stems. So let it be until it turns brown or shoots out something new. All righty. Uh, we're just about out of time for this segment, uh, Charlie. So how about you can take a breather, fill up your coffee cup. Well, I remind folks that this show is recorded and we do need your emails to uh, have a successful show next week. So we had asked you, please, to send your questions to Charlie Dobbin at this address, C dot Dobbin. That's D-O-B-B-I-N at M-Z Media. Dot com. And with that, we're going to be taking a little bit of a break here, give uh, time for our sponsors to get their word in, and be back very shortly here with Charlie Dobbin on Zoomer Radio. 
Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, okay, Charlie, uh, we're all set to rock and roll again with more questions. This is from Karen Whittington, who says she's at uh, Lakeshore Road, just east of Dunville, Ontario. Uh, avocado tree under discussion here. Good day, Frank and Charlie. Uh, I started this tree from one of the large avocado variety pits this past winter. I was wondering when it should be planted into a larger pot. It has full sun and loves it. I water it when the leaves droop just a little bit and it perks up quickly. The pot is four inches at top and tapers to two inches at the bottom. Thank you for the info. Karen Whittington in near Dunville. Yeah, thanks, Karen. It's actually a nice picture that she sent. I'm not sure if you looked at it, mm-hmm. Frank. Uh, it's a nicely formed plant, but based on the size of that pot, I would say it's time to repot it. Now, always, always remember, we don't plant any plants into any pots that don't have drainage holes. So make sure you've got holes in the bottom of the pot. And that way, when it is time to repot, you'll know it because the roots will start to protrude out of those drainage holes. And that's always a really good giveaway that it's the plant is now, you know, um, pot bound and needs a bigger pot. But just based on it being only four, I guess she's measuring across the top so like the diameter is four inches and quite narrow at the bottom. I would be moving it up to a six inch pot with drainage holes with some fresh, you know, right out of the bag, uh, potting soil uh, container mix or soilless mix moistened up nicely. Um, the other thing I would do with that, because it's, it is a nice looking plant, but avocados have a tendency to get tall and leggy and be not very pretty. So right now it's a single stem or yeah, single stem, like a little miniature tree. But what you need to do is you need to pinch the top of that little tree in order to get it to branch out and become more bushy. So I would take the top of that plant off by the top inch off or two and a half centimeters, you know, sharp scissors, pair of pruners, and suddenly you're going to get some side shoots and the whole plant is going to look better as a result and not just be a a tall spindly thing. Because, you know, now it looks good, but next year it won't look so good if you don't do the, make it more of a bushy plant. So remember, you are in charge of how that plant's going to grow. Don't let it boss you around. Okay. (laughs) All right. Yeah, a little tough love is needed, huh? Okay. Exactly. Yeah. People are Uh, so afraid, eh? They're afraid, oh, I'm going to hurt the plant. No, you're not going to hurt the plant. It's a good thing. Do it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Richard Bafus writes in, uh, hi, Charlie. This spring had a very vigorous gooseberry bush, which was all full of berries. Uh, First, squirrels started to eat berries, most still green. Then they started eating leaves and branches until they chewed up to a foot off the branches, try to chase (laughs) them away. Nothing works. Now they're even pulling off remaining leaves. The bush has been reduced to a third of what it was. Squirrels also ate begonias in flower pots. Eat flower petals like salad they do. How how do you discourage them? Oh, boy. (laughs) No kidding, eh? Crazy, crazy squirrels. Trying to think where... Do I know where Richard lives? No, I don't. So, uh, what I find, particularly if you live in the city, like in in a big city, the squirrels are so inbred 
that they are just nuts. They're completely nuts. And they'll do the nuttiest <laughs> things. So there's really nothing you can do. Like, you're just stuck with these crazy squirrels. So you can get a dog. Dogs are a great way to mm-hmm. keep squirrels out of the yard. Um, you can, well, something like begonias. Begonias are quite edible, as are um, as are gooseberries. But it's funny because gooseberries are quite thorny. And the squirrels are eating the, eating, like, stripping the leaves off. Wacky. Um you can feed the squirrels, like give them their own little spot where you put some peanuts out for them or whatever, uh, and they are more likely to leave your stuff alone if you specifically feed them their own um, little little station. Um, the other thing is there are some repellents. There is one that I have recommended in the past called plant skid. So it's the word plant, P-L-A-N-T, and then skid, S-K-Y. D D I think <laughs> here I go I think <laughs> so plant S K Y and then two D's and it is available apparently at the Home Depots the Canadian Tires uh, it is recommended it's completely organic and it is recommended as something that will uh, stop any mammals right so you've got moles voles you've got raccoons you've got any varmint bugging you this spray on your plants will not harm the plants or the varmints and it does supposedly last up to four months on plants so it's a unique design and um, yeah it should it might it might help you so I'd give it a try Okay, uh, here's a note now from Sandy Church, uh, subject hydrangea flowers. She says, for the third year in a row, these hydrangeas look beautiful, but I have one lonely flower. I haven't trimmed them and fertilized any idea how to get them flowering again from Sandy. Right, so I wish Sandy had told me when she planted this plant. It it does look like a fairly new hydrangea. What happened was... The old hydrangeas, up until about 15 years ago, any of the hydrangeas, the mop head or, or you know, um, the hydrangeas with the round flowers uh, and the, you know, big, yeah, big round, typically white, sometimes pink flowers, they would be uh, hard to get blooming with any consistency. And then they came up with some newer varieties of hydrangeas that do or should bloom more, more consistently. However, hydrangeas can be really finicky and just not be very um, cooperative, I find. We we do our best to plant hydrangeas that are going to work and, and be consistent, and they aren't. So what do you do? Not a lot. Next, like for now, just leave the plant alone. Enjoy whatever you've got going on. Leave the flowers on for the winter. Next spring, get out your pruners, prune that plant down to where you start to see little green growth. So the plant might be two or three inches tall by the time you're, you've pruned it all down to the same height. And at the same time, I would be getting out some um, compost or composted manure and get that around the plant as well. And then again, just leave them alone. We don't trim them during the growing season. And typically you shouldn't have to do a lot of fertilizing, but you know, do provide some nutrients in the spring, whether it's a synthetic fertilizer or uh, a soil amendment like, like manure. And um, yeah, avoid the nitrogen, uh, keep the, the flowering type fertilizers on the hydrangeas. So you want to minimize the green leaves and maximize the flowers. And like I said, they can be a bit frustrating, but we have our up years and our down years with hydrangeas. It's just the way it works. <laughs> okay. Uh, we have been really putting you to the test here on a hot, hot day as we're recording this show, Charlie. So time to uh, just lean back a little bit, uh, take a break, and fill up that coffee cup. We'll come back for our final segment of the Garden Show here on Zoomer Radio. 
Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Okay, Charlie, I have a note here from Elaine from uh, Bob Cajun. Uh, and oh, before uh, we get to her question, she passes along a little compliment to you, Charlie. She says, uh, thank you for the past advice on my chives. You said to leave them flowers uh, on and enjoy them. My beautiful chive bed now measures two feet by four feet. And after three years, it's uh, wonderful. It's, uh, butterflies and insects, it, its attract is amazing. And there you go. Nice little compliment for you for past advice. Now, here's the question for today. Uh, this plant, and she sends you a picture of this, has appeared here and there in our gardens. When I pull it out, it has a very distinctive, strong, noxious odor. Not like a stinkweed, which does not linger. I want to know what is uh, one of these foreign invasive plants and how it should be handled when removing it. So far, I tried to get it when it's tiny, but as you can see, I missed this one. I don't like to smell this thing. So what? what's the advice for Elaine and Bob Cajun, Charlie? Um, all right. So I didn't uh, figure this one out all by myself. Um, big thank you and hugs to Sean James. He's my go-to when I'm stumped. And like, Sean, what do you think this is? And he got back to me and said, the common name of this plant is velvet leaf. The proper name is abutilon. Um, some of you out there might recognize abutilon as something we also refer to as flowering maple. So it's a tropical plant. We do grow the flowering maple as an ornamental plant. It looks like maple leaves, but it gets these cute little uh, nodding flowers on it. And it's, it's a, that's a nice plant. This one, on the other hand, is a different species of abutilon or velvet leaf. And it is not attractive and you do not want it in your garden. The trick with this is it will die in the winter. It is an annual tropical, This even this velvet leaf that uh, is growing in Bob Cajun and Elaine's garden. Just, you don't even have to pull it out. Like, you don't have to smell that horrible stink. But do not let it go to seed. If it goes to seed, you're going to have thousands more of these plants coming up next year. So the, the mother plant that you've got living in the garden right there can be pulled up. It can be dug up. Uh, it, you can just leave it alone and it will die in the winter. But do not let it go to seed. That's the bottom line. Grace Corrigan uh, has a lawn question. She says, I see neighbors and lawn companies out mowing the grass. I'm very confused. All the lawns are like hay, including mine, and not growing. Am I missing something? Should I be cutting the grass even though it looks like hay? <laughs> I should be fertilizing it. I understand that once we get over this drought, the grass will come back, but I need some advice as to what to do. Thank you so much for looking at my question, Grace Corrigan writes in. Uh, all right. It's a great question, Grace. And you know what's, what's really the, the answer here is relax, sit back, mix yourself a martini. Do not even think about going out on your lawn. Don't think about cutting it. Don't fertilize it. Don't even walk on it. It is, uh, if it's brown and hay-like, it has gone dormant. It needs to be just left alone. Um, at some point, we're going to get some rain, and at some point, the temperature is going to drop a bit. And if the grass was healthy and if it has been under six weeks of dormancy it will all come back just the way it was <clears throat> if however it wasn't a very happy lawn 
or we've gone beyond six weeks of dormancy, then you will find there's a lot of death of those turf grasses and we'll all be frantically, uh, you know, top dressing and overseeding in the fall, but not now. There's nothing to cut. There's nothing. Don't fertilize a dormant plant. Um, most people aren't even watering things like lawns. I'm not sure if there are water restrictions, but I'm sure there are in many municipalities right now. Certainly at my house, we have imposed our own water restrictions because we're on a well and we're watching the level of our well drop. And the last thing we're doing is any unnecessary watering uh, or even running of dishwashers or flushing of toilets. So we're just really being careful. And really, it's a it's a resource. Water is a very important resource. We have to look after it and uh, and not waste it. And obviously, grass or turf is something that's fine to go dormant. And yes, we'll, we'll come back and green up once the, the environmental conditions change okay uh gee i think we're up to our final question for this segment our final segment from diane cavanaugh says hi hey frankie yes yes excuse excuse me did you get one i sent you from rita kubat uh the subject was unusual plant no i didn't get that Hmm. oh okay oh i might okay so here you know i'm just going to interrupt you you go ahead because this one has been around for a little while. Uh, so Rita just, it was just a quick email. Again, um, she says, hi, Charlie, this plant was given to me. The lady has no idea what it is. Do you have any idea? Stay safe, Rita. Uh, and I just wanted to share this again. I did ask for Sean James's help with this because it was so familiar, but I couldn't figure out exactly what it was. Well, guess what this plant is that Rita was given is called Jimson weed. Have you ever heard of that, Frank? Jimson yeah, weed? Yeah, I have. And I, I can't place what the heck it is, but I have heard well, of it. Well, it's, it, it's a hallucinogenic plant. <laughs> oh, well, there you it's, go. No wonder I couldn't remember. A, <laughs> exactly. It's a um, datura, datura stramonium, hmm. aggressive, invasive, intemperate climates all around the world. Um, some people, some people consider it uh, something that is great medicinal uses. Others do use it as a hallucinogenic. So it is an annual plant here. It will die if left outside for the winter. Uh, just you, you, all pl- parts of the plant are considered toxic. So up to you if you want to have it, uh, f- uh, but leave it outside. I wouldn't keep it inside. Um, it could be a dangerous plant to have around. Just you never know. Cats, dogs, small children. Keep them away from plants like that. All right. Okay. There we are. Thank you, Rita. And you know, uh, Diane Cavanaugh, that will be the first question for next week's show, okay? Just make sure that we get your question on. Charlie, thank you so much. And Joel, thank you. Yeah, thank you, both of you. And thanks to all our great listeners who send in all the great questions. So don't forget, we need more questions for next week. C.Dobbin at mzmedia.com. See you all again next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.